this morning. Hey, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you're new, my name is Byron. I get the great honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. Go ahead and click share so we can get the message out. Leave a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Today, we are going to continue our study through the book of 1 Peter that we are calling Christians Are Crazy, where we're learning how to live for Christ in a world that is in crisis. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn me to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. But before we dive in, I have to ask you a question to set up this message. And it's a, it's a really deep question. It's a philosophical question, theological. So I'm going to need you to put your thinking caps on, all right? Take off the tinfoil hat, put on the thinking cap. Here's, here's the question for us today. Two plus two equals? The sun rises in the? Sets in the? Blue and red make? Which direction does a compass point? What goes up must come? That's called? Gravity. Good. Everything that I just said are what are called truth. All right? True statements. And here's the deal about truth is that truth is truth whether you agree with it or not. Okay, like gravity, you can debate it, you can argue it, but eventually, gravity always wins. Truth is incredibly important because it's truth that we build our life upon. But in the society that we live in today, truth is not popular. Truth is under attack. Many people, they say, I get to make up my own truth. Just so you know, that's not truth. Right? You're entitled to your own feelings, but you're not entitled to your own your facts, and facts don't really care about what you feel because they're true that they're true whether you agree with them or not. Truth, it doesn't depend on your upbringing, your background, your political opinions. It doesn't matter what some you know, college professor told you. Truth is truth, and truth doesn't really matter about what our feelings are. It only matters about what is an ultimate reality. What goes up always comes down. A compass always points north. Red and blue always make purple. These are things that are called truth. And today, Paul is going to give us some truth that we need to hold on to, that we need to resort to when we find ourselves in troubled times. And I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but I would say that our society, we live in some troubled times. Yeah. Man, have you turned on the news or the TV? Like I always find it adorable when people are like, I think life is getting better and we're progressing and we're evolving and society is just, it's just getting so much better. I'm like, ha, you're cute. Like, you really believe that? Like, have you looked around lately? Everybody's angry, frustrated, I mean, confused, bitter, virtue signaling on the internet, trying to figure out what next thing we're gonna be outraged about this month. Like, people are feeling pressure and tension and anxiety within themselves. We're not doing well as a society. We are living in troubled times. You say, how do you know that we're in troubled times? Well, World War III is trending on the internet. We got men winning women of the year awards because nobody knows what a woman actually is. One out of four women are sexually assaulted because young men are addicted to pornography and they think they're entitled to a young woman's body. I mean, we have a society where, where the 
number one prescription medication is antidepressants. The second leading cause of death amongst teenagers is suicide. Does that look like there's hope? Does that look like there's life? Does that look like there's flourishing? I mean, cities are on fire. The economy is in the toilet and the midterm elections, they just look like they're getting worse every single time because when you turn on the news, there's nothing but bad news everywhere. And it's because there's a society that they don't know the truth. They don't believe in the truth. They're looking for truth everywhere except for the one place the Bible tells us to actually look for the truth. And so for us, what we have to understand when we're living in troubled times, when lies are common, truth is crazy. When lies are common, when all you know is lies, then when someone comes around and starts speaking the truth, you're going to think they're crazy. Those people are crazy. But I want you to understand something, that truth is still truth regardless of people's opinion, regardless of popularity, or regardless of what the majority believes, truth is truth. And the moment as believers that we start speaking the truth, the world is going to think that we're crazy. But just consider the alternative, What is the alternative? I mean, when you survey society, you have to be a little bit heartbroken about the way in which people's lives are going. Anxiety, depression, frustration, outrage, confusion. It's not going well. So how do we as a church in the middle of these troubled times be people who build our lives upon the truth? That's what Paul, uh, Peter rather, is going to be teaching us today out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. The sermon title is called Truth for Troubled Times, and he's going to give us five truths that we need to build our lives on when we find ourselves living in troubled times. Here's what he says first. Number one, theology is still important. Here's where it starts. Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, anytime you read that word, therefore, you always have to ask yourself this question. What is the therefore, therefore? And so what Peter is doing is last week, he taught us what the Christian life in the middle of crisis actually looks like. He tells us three things. He says that you are elect and you're exiles, you're blessed and you're burdened and you're here, but you're not yet home. If you didn't listen to the message, you can go catch it on Spotify or on YouTube where he's setting the stage up for the rest of the nine weeks that we're gonna be spending in 1 Peter. These three themes are gonna weave their way all throughout. And he uses this word right here. He says, exile. What does that mean? It means you're an outcast. It means that you are no longer socially accepted. It means that you are rejected by the world. But here was the good news. Even though you are rejected by the world, you have been selected, elected. You have been chosen by God. And so we are to live our lives, not for the approval of men, but from the approval that we have received from our father. They are exiles. And the culture and context that they were in is that they were a church that was dispersed. They could no longer gather together, so they've been scattered due to the persecution that they were experiencing both from Rome and from the religious leaders of the day. What he is saying is, this world is not your home. That there is another place, there is another world, there is a better home that is awaiting us, and that is in heaven. And everybody lives forever, the question is where? 
And so he's reminding us that we are exiles in this world. He really focuses in on that point about us living our way, living our lives in this direction. And then he says this, he says to prepare your minds. What he's saying is in times of trouble, theology is incredibly important. Prepare your minds for what? For passivity? No, for action and be sober-minded. This is called thinking. Now, we live in a day where many people are led by their emotions. You're led by your feelings. But the reality is, is that our emotions and feelings can sometimes lie to you, amen? Have you ever felt like doing something that you knew was wrong? Have you ever felt like something was the right decision and then you made it and it turned out to be the bad decision? Okay, you ever get in a fight with your spouse and in your feelings you say things where immediately you're like, oh, wish I could take that one back and you have to spend the rest of the week sleeping on the couch? Right, because we are not to be led by our feelings. We are supposed to practice self-control over our emotions. And for us as Christians, this is incredibly important. For many of us, we grew up in something known as the seeker-sensitive movement of the 90s. And, and we grew up in evangelical churches that have put a high premium on our emotions. And so we've learned that if something is good, then it bases it on how we feel. So if a church service is good, we're going to get warm, fuzzy feelings and all the tingles in our body, right? If the worship set hit really hard, oh, I'm on an emotional high. If the sermon was really good, I might cry a tear or put an extra five in the offering plate. We judge the success or the service by how filled the altars were. Or if you go to a first Wednesday prayer night and you come and you walk walk away, you're so inspired. You're like, oh, God really showed up in that moment. But if you leave the service and you're still tired, you must think that the Holy Spirit wasn't present in there because we have based our experiences on our emotions. Listen, the Spirit showed up whether you felt it or not. The Spirit was there. And our goal is not to be led by our emotions, but to lead our emotions through thinking. He says to, to think. Many Christians You've been told to invite Jesus into your heart. I love that. That's great. But you also need to invite Jesus into your brain. You need to think and not just feel. See, the Bible doesn't tell us that we walk by our feelings. No, it, it's that we walk by our faith, right? And so we need, to, we need to submit our emotions under the supremacy of truth. In 2022, when everything is trying to emotionally manipulate you, gaslight you, and sway you into thinking one way, you have to be rooted and grounded in what the truth actually says. Because here's why. If you don't know what you believe, then you will believe anything. If you're not certain of the truth, then you're going to fall for the lies. If you don't know the difference between what's real, all you'll believe is what's fake. If you don't know the authentic, you're going to fall for the counterfeit. If you don't know what you believe, then you will end up believing anything. Listen, if you don't know your Bible, then you will know the lies from the world. If you don't know what this word says, all you'll know is what they say. If you don't know the word, you'll know the world. And if you are not educated in the scriptures, you will be indoctrinated by the culture. This is how today we have, you know, celebrities and TikTok preachers and people with YouTube channels who are espousing all sorts of heretical nonsense 
and many emotionally immature and theologically illiterate Christians will watch what they say through social media and it will challenge their faith to the point to where they do not actually know what they believe. And so instead of listening to the word, they're more discipled by the false teachings that come from the word. I mean, we have, we have people on these social media platforms who they are twisting and manipulating scripture, doing more hermeneutical gymnastics than Simone Biles to be able to make the Bible say what they think it says. And Christians today, they'll be like, they'll be like well, that's just in my opinion or how I feel or according to, to me and what I think, listen, it doesn't matter what you feel. It only matters what's in this word. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It matters what's in this word. And it doesn't matter what other people say. The only thing that matters is what God's word says. And if you don't know theology, if you don't know sound doctrine, if you're not spending your time filling your mind with the truth that is found in God's scriptures, then you will be indoctrinated by this culture. I mean, this is how we have Christians who they believe that it's okay for them to live with their boyfriend and girlfriend because God knows that we're married in our hearts. It's how we have other Christians who thinks it's okay to divorce your spouse for unbiblical reasons because at the end of the day, God just wants me to be, to be happy. It's how we have Christians who they believe what they see on Fox News or CNN or they read on a blog or through TikTok or other forms of social media because they don't know what they believe, so they eventually believe in anything. This is how we have Christians who believe that abortion is approved by God because, well, God gave us free will anyway. This is why Christians think, oh, we can't legislate our morality. Meanwhile, they're abdicating their civil responsibilities and duties. We have Christians who think that gay marriage is acceptable and pleasing. God because after all, God is love and love always wins. This is how we have Christians who believe that the Declaration of Independence is the 67th book of the Bible and the president is our savior and the mark of the beast is in the vaccine. People are believing all sorts of crazy nonsense because they don't actually know what the truth teaches. And if you don't know what you believe, then you will eventually end up believing anything. People ask, hey, why does redemption just teach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible? Hey, why does redemption talk about hot topics and controversial issues and things that are taboo? Well, one reason is, is because if you're not hearing it from the church, then where are you going to hear these teachings from? If you're not learning about these things within the church, everybody else is talking about it except for in here, right? Because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't step on any toes. Well, at Redemption, if you're new, look around the rest of the people here. They learn to get their toes out of the aisles. Because we're going to preach the truth. We're going to teach God's word. We're going to build our church on the reality that God is sovereign and supreme. And his word always points us in the direction of truth. See, for us, we teach verse by verse through books, and, and here's the reason why. Like Paul, before the Ephesian elders, I would like to be able to say that I did not fail in preaching the full counsel of God's word, not just the parts that we like, but also the parts that we, we find to be uncomfortable, not just the parts that comfort us, but the parts that make us a little uncomfortable, not just the parts that encourage us, but the parts that convict us and challenge us. Some weeks, you'll hear the sermon where, where God makes you rejoice, and then some weeks, you'll hear the message and 
and God will cause you to repent. Some weeks you'll hear the message and you'll be, you'll be filled with, with overflowing gratitude. And then some weeks you'll hear them and you'll have to walk home and you'll have to actually journal and survey through the issues that are in your life. And my job is not just to preach messages that keep you from coming, keep you to come back. And like me, my job is to get you to go out and love him. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the hope is to lift up the name of Jesus because it's Jesus' name that is above all names. And we base our truth. We base our hope. We base our fact. We need to be sober-minded and we need to be thinking theologically because if you don't know what you believe, then eventually you will end up believing anything. So in 2022, listen, invite Jesus in your heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the message to do just that. But there has to come a point to where you also ask Jesus into your brain and to think theologically, because if you don't know what you believe, then you're going to end up believing anything. Second thing he tells us is this, is that holiness is still a thing. I know holiness ain't popular, but you know what? We're bringing holiness back. Holiness is still a thing. Here's what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is, what's the word? You also be in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, therefore I am holy. And if you call on him who is the father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of, what's the word? Exile. And that word exile is incredibly important because it means you don't fit in. You are different. You are unique. You are what some people may call crazy. And if you live a life that is pursuing after holiness... The way you live your life is going to be antithetical to the remainder of the culture. And from the outside, people are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're awkward. You don't fit in. You don't belong. You might be a little bit crazy. But what the world calls crazy, God calls holy. Say, what does that word holy mean? It means to be different. It means to be set apart. It means to be cut off. It means to be unique. And this is what God has called us as believers to be. We are called to be holy as God is holy. Listen, is God like us? No, right? He's God, we're not. He is is outside of time and reality. He He is separate from the rest of the universe. And that is holiness, The same way when the Bible talks about the Sabbath day, keep the Sabbath holy, what does it mean? It's different than the rest of the days. The first 10% of your income is called a tithe. The tithe is holy. It's to be set apart. It's not to be used like the rest of it. God, as exiles, he has elected us, chosen us, called us. He has separated us from the rest of the world. And we are called to live holy lives. Worldliness is rebellion against God. But holiness... That's rebellion against the world. See, worldliness is rebellion against God. Worldliness is is sin. It's the structures of this world that seek to separate us from a genuine, pure relationship with God as our Lord and our Savior. What was the reason that Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden? It was because of their sin. 
See, God created this world that we would be in unity and harmony and we would be one in relationship with him, but sin, it separates us. That's what sin always does. Sin separates us from a loving relationship with God because sin is rebellion against God himself. But holiness, now holiness is rebellion against this world. And so when you choose to live a life that is holy, many people are gonna think that you are crazy because you're not conforming to what? To the passions of your former ignorance. See, beforehand, you didn't know. And you can't know what you don't know, but now you know. And now you know, which means now things in your life begin to change. Right, When when I met Jesus, right, things began to shift in my life. As I grew in my relationship with Jesus, things continued to change in my life. My passions, my desires, my thinking, everything began to experience a radical shift. The old was gone, the new had come. The way that I was is no longer the way that I am because who he is creating for me to be. This is what it's called to live a holy life. And this is what God has called us to do as believers is that we are to be set apart, distinct, separate, and we are called to live lives of holiness. Worldliness is rebellion against God, but holiness rather is rebellion against this world. Now you gotta understand something, is that the God of the Bible, he is a binary God. See, a lot of times people think, oh, everything happens on a spectrum. No, God is binary, right? Truth, lies, fact, fiction, heaven, hell, Angels, demons, men, women. The way that God designs, thinks the world to work is in binary terms. And so for us, if we see that the call is to be holy and to not live that means that we are unholy. There is no middle ground. There is no in between. You cannot live with one foot in the culture and another foot in the kingdom without eventually being separated yourself. And so our call, our command is that as believers, we are to live holy, to be holy as he has called us holy. And if you live your life this way, you're going to be crazy, right? Just think about it. Like, like for, for a couple, maybe a young couple, they meet at the church and they start dating and their friends are like, hey, are you all going to start, are, are you going to start sleeping together? You're like, no. Are you going to live together? No. Why not? Right, well, because God says to keep the marriage bed undefiled and to flee and abstain from sexual immorality. I love God and I'm gonna honor her. And so we've committed to, to not sleep together before we're married. Look, say that to somebody at work. They're gonna think you're crazy, right? I mean, think about this. Like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm waking up and I'm going to church. Really, on your day off? Oh yeah, you bet. Well, why? Well, because I have to serve. How much do they pay you to do that? Nothing, I pay them 10%. <laughs> Right? You, you do that and people are going to think, people are going to think you're crazy because the way that we organize, prioritize, and live our lives is different from the way that the rest of the world lives their lives. And so what I want to do for a moment, I want to kind of dive into this for just a sec because, you know, a lot of pastors and theologians and books that you'll find in bookstores today, they're not really writing books about holiness and so what, what happens is this, is that we don't have, we don't understand what holiness means. I mean, we're writing books about how to live your best life now, but nobody's teaching how to live a holy life now. Right. And so we need to figure out what does it mean for us to, to live lives that are holy? 
So I'm going to give you five ways to not be holy, dangers and pitfalls you'll find in society. I'm going to give you five ways that you could pursue holiness. The first way to not be holy is to buy into something known as relativism. So what is relativism? It's a philosophy that would teach that there is no such thing as truth and you get to make up your own truth. I had somebody tell me one time, they, they said, they, they said, there is no such thing as truth. And I said, I don't believe you. They said, why? It's like, because that was a true statement. <laughs> Immediately, boom, logical fallacy. Because they're saying something that they don't actually believe in. Because everybody wants to make up their own truth until somebody else's truth violates their truth. And then all of a sudden they start appealing to a greater truth. That's relativism. And to accept relativism is to reject God's sovereignty. And so if you find yourself believing in this trap of relativism, you're rejecting holiness. See, you don't get to make up your own truth. God already gave us the truth and we are to live our lives according to that. The second thing is tolerance. See, back in the day, tolerance actually used to mean that you, you put up with people, you forbear with people. Even if you don't agree with them, you still love them and you can live next door to one another. That's what tolerance used to mean. But tolerance today has changed. Tolerance is no longer putting up with people that you disagree with and loving them in spite of them. Tolerance now means accepting, approving, or celebrating somebody. Question, does God accept, approve, or celebrate sin? No. No. See, God is not tolerant. God is patient. Later, we'll study in 1 Peter that God is patient. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all would come into a relationship with him. He is being patient with us in his love and in his kindness. He is giving us opportunities to repent. We are not to tolerate sin. We are to repent of sin because God is patient with us. And so as Christians, we cannot approve of other people's sins. We cannot celebrate of other people's sins. And the moment that we do is the moment we reject God's standard of what holiness looks like. Number three, syncretization. Right, what does that mean? It means taking two things and combining them together. And so some people, they see religion today like it's a buffet. Oh man, I really love the teachings of Jesus, but at the same time, I also, I also like the teachings of Buddhism. Right, I'm going to take a little bit of Christianity, I'm going to mix it in with a little bit of witchcraft and a little bit of paganism, and we're going to combine it all together, and I'm going to make up my own religion, and that's called syncretism. So I'll go to first Wednesday prayer night, and I'm going to pray, but I'm also going to keep my crystals so that way I can pray to them when I'm at home. What happens when you, what happens when you take something that is undiluted and pure, and then you mix something else inside of it? Well, it is no longer pure means it's no longer holy. And the moment you mix the world into the word is the moment you diminish the word of all of its beauty. The moment you mix the culture with the kingdom, you're robbing it of its power. There is no syncretization within Christianity. The Bible is enough. Jesus is enough. God is enough. And he is all that we need. And he is sufficient for every season that we find ourselves in. There is no syncretization. Number four, lawlessness. This is where you're just like, I know what the truth is, but I just don't care. Right. Right, this is the mindset that is behind the deconstruction movement of the time where people grow up in the church. They know what the truth is, but they just decided, I don't even care about it. I'm going to do my life, live my ways. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And nobody, including God, can tell me what to do. That is straight up lawlessness. It's rebellion. Yeah. It's rebellion against God. And then number five, legalism. 
This is where some people will go beyond the Bible, invent extra rules, then impose them on other people so that way they can feel morally superior to everybody else. And I would venture to say that in our church, most people have a proclivity towards points one through four because of the culture and society that you're in, because many of us are emotionally immature and biblically illiterate. We haven't been raised on the word of God. We've been taught, taught, you know, how to believe, but we've never been taught what to believe. We've been taught how to live, but we've never been taught why. And so when you grow up, you go to college or you make a couple of friends, what happens? All of a sudden, you're prone to drift towards one through four. And then some of us, because we grew up in those religious churches, where our natural proclivity is to bend towards five, legalism. See, God's word, the, the rabbis would say is this, is that God's word, the laws are a fence. Why do we have fences? For protection, to keep people out and to keep our kids safe. My, my daughters, they like playing outside. I need to get somebody to come over to fix our fence because the fence is broken. And so it'd be really easy for Ruthie just to push on the, push on the fence and then she could get out in the street and that's gonna bring harm and danger to her, right? And so I need to get that fence fixed. But what legalism does, well, what the first four do is they just disregard the fence altogether. But what legalism does is it turns the fence, which is meant for our protection, and it turns it into a prison. It's where now people are no longer free. They're just as slaved as everybody else. And so for our goal, pursuing holiness, is not to conform, but rather to be transformed. Our goal is not just to do what people say, but to live in ways that God says. Not to live according to our opinions, but to live according to the truth of scripture. So, so how, how do we do that? Well, he's gonna give us five ways that I would say that, that we can begin to pursue after holiness. The first one is this, have a clear definition. Like I wouldn't get on a plane and just be like, one ticket to wherever you want, right? No, because I'm gonna end up in some weird place. And if you try to pursue holiness without a definition of holiness, you're going to end up in some wonky traditions. I mean, you're going to end up thinking like electricity is sinful and, you know, I got to ride a horse and buggy and women need to wear potato sacks. And, you know, if, if, you're, if your shorts are, you know, two inches below your fingertips, then you're going to hell. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do, right? You can end up in some weird places. And so we have a clear definition of what holiness truly is. What, what is. what is holiness? It, it means to be set apart. It means to be like Christ. It means to be holy as he is holy. It means that we are different than the rest of the way the world works. So when the world zigs, we zag, right? When they go up, we go down, right? When they say jump, we stand firm. And so that's our definition. Number two, start with the gospel. Like if you begin to pursue holiness without Jesus, you're gonna fail. Why? Because it's Jesus who makes us holy. It's Jesus who washes away our sins. It's Jesus who removes the stain of sin. It's Jesus who removes the curse of sin. It's Jesus who meets us where we're at and he changes us to who he has created us to be. It is Jesus who died for our sins, who forgives us of our sins and resurrected to give us the Holy Spirit to overcome our sins. And so if you try to pursue holiness without Jesus, you're missing the point entirely. Number three, focus on what you feed. 
We're going to talk about this in greater detail next week, but what you feed grows, what you starve dies, right? Focus on what you are feeding your soul, because if you're just consuming you know, culture and media and social media and technology and you're doom scrolling on Instagram all the time. Well, what's gonna happen? All of a sudden, the flesh that is inside of you, the, the, the former ignorance is going to be given the ability to work its way back into your life. But if you feed your spirit by prayer, Bible reading, fellowship with other believers, living in Christian community, and under accountability, what's gonna happen? Then your soul is gonna be to grow. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. Focus on what you're feeding. Number four, surgically remove sin. So Jesus says it like this. If your hand caused you to sin, chop it off. Because it's better to go to heaven with one hand than have two hands in hell. And so you need to be mindful of what your temptations are the struggles that you have. And so for some of you, if watching the news makes you angry, turn off the news. For some of you, if you can't scroll through social media without, without being tempted, okay, you need to go turn off your social media. For some of you, if it's Alcohol, is drinking a sin? No. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. And so if you can't hang out and have a beer without getting drunk, you don't get to drink. Because that's a temptation and you need to know what your weaknesses are. If it's your phone, for young men or women, if you can't have a phone without accountability software or a friend that's going to be able to check your internet browser because your phone leads you to look at pornography, well, Jesus would say it like this in 2022. Right, better to go to heaven with a flip phone than have an iPhone in hell. Right. You need to surgically remove sin from your life. Get rid of it. Because we're not called to celebrate sin, tolerate sin. We're called to kill sin. If you don't kill sin, sin will eventually kill you. And then number five, we are to live out of our new identity. What is your identity? What is your identity? He says it right here. He says... Obedient children. What is your identity? Your identity is a child of God. If you're a Christian, you have been born again into a living hope. And now you're God's kid. So you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. Right now we got all of our kids are in the back. And I think the way that they're laughing, loving, and having fun is the way that God the Father looks down on us, is that we're children of God. That is your identity. Listen, in a world that is so confused about their identity, everything's about identity. We are guaranteed what our identity is. As those who are looking for their identity out there, well, we find our identity first and foremost through here. People are obsessed in our society about identity. Everything's about identity. But the Bible tells us what our identity actually is. The world would tell you, hey, your identity is found in your politics. They say, no, my identity is found in Jesus. They say, your identity is found in your sexuality. You say, no, my identity is found in Jesus. Your identity is found in your gender. No, God created me. God designed me. Therefore, God defines me. My identity is rooted and based in him. Your identity is not in your job. Your identity is not in your relationships. Your identity is not 
and your children. And if you're looking for your identity anywhere else, you will be perennially frustrated because our identity is only found in Jesus Christ and how we've been adopted into the children of God. That, my friends, is what your identity is. You are a child of God. How many of you in the room are parents? Any parents in the room? Hands up everywhere, right? Right, as, as parents, do you have to teach your children to disobey? No, that is a feature that comes standard in the heart of every child. Right, I never had to teach Ruthie how to hit her sister. I never had to teach Esther how to steal from her sister or lie. Or wake up in the middle of the night, sneak downstairs, grab her iPad, sneak back up in bed, three o'clock in the morning, and find her on the covers watching YouTube, right? She learned how to do that all by her lonesome. Nobody had a teacher that, listen, nothing drifts towards holiness. We always drift towards sinfulness. And so God is a father. He's teaching us to what? To be obedient children. For those of you who are parents, when you teach your children to obey, why do you do that? Because you hate them? because you want to make their life unbearable because you're just a big, mean parent? No. Why? Because you want what's ultimately best for them. And you know that when they're making wrong choices, it will not lead to a good life. And so as children, they have to learn because if they don't, later in life, they're going to feel the effects of their disobedience. And so here's what I tell Esther all the time. We bring her to school. I pray Psalms 1 over her. I pray a prayer over her. And then I say this, baby, what do we always say? She says, life goes better when you obey. It's totally true, right? Life goes better when you obey. So the other day she got put on yellow at school. Yeah. Because she talked back to the teacher. And so she didn't get to have the activities that the rest of the classes had. So she had to sit out and she came home and she was crying and asked her, I said, well, why? She said, because I was put on yellow. I said, well, why are you put on yellow? She said, because I didn't listen. I said, okay, well, how did that work out for you? And she was like, not fun. I said, did you enjoy being on yellow? Did you, did you enjoy not getting to have the rest of the activities that the other kids got to enjoy? Did, did, it, did it feel good to be on yellow? She's like, No. And I said, well, then don't do it again. <laughs> I said, why did you get put on yellow? She said, because I wasn't listening. And I said, baby, what do we say all the time? Life goes better when you, she says, when you obey. And I was like, okay, so what are you going to do next time? She said, I'm going to obey. Listen, God is a father. And we are his kids. And he wants the best possible life for us. And so for those of us who, who read the Bible and we come to a part that we disagree with, that's like Esther arguing back to her teacher. That's like Ruthie telling me I'm wrong. I'm like, you're two. <laughs> and so when you read a part of the Bible, I know it can be hard, guys. I know, I know it can be hard. You read a part and you're like, sexual sin, not living together, homosexuality. You read parts about gender, transgenderism. You read parts about loving your neighbors, or forgiveness, so that you've been wounded so hard and bad and hurt so deeply in your life. And you read verses where Jesus says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Wow. Wow. And all of that angst 
rises up inside of you. That's your warning sign that something's wrong inside of you. And I know it can be difficult. I know that it can be hard. But I know that if you live your life based on the truth, it will lead to flourishing and the best possible life that God has for you. God is not telling us to be holy so that way we can't have any fun. God is telling us to be holy because one way leads to life and one way leads to death. And in 2022, I know it's not popular, but I'm going to say it. It's that God's way still works. God's way still produces life and health and vitality and flourishing and maturity. And so we need to pursue after holiness. Life goes better when you obey. And that's what holiness is. The third thing he'll teach us is this is that sanctification is still a process. Now, are we going to nail this holiness thing every single time? No, not at all, which is why he has us on a journey into becoming more like him. This is where he's going to go next. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, that like a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was manifested in last times for the sake of you, who through him are now believers who God, uh, in God, who has raised him from the dead and gave glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, when it comes to the Christian life, theologians will say there's, there's three parts, that there is the justification, there is the sanctification, and then there is glorification. This is how salvation works. There's justification. That's what he's talking about here. He talks about how we've been ransomed, that we've been bought back from the futile ways of our father through the precious blood of Jesus. As Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he washes away all of our sins. We are made new creations in him. The debt has been paid. The penalty of sin has been paid and you are declared not guilty. You are innocent. Jesus stood in your place for your sin. All the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus and you're, you're, you're declared not guilty. Justification ransomed, redeemed. That was the first step of salvation. The third step of salvation is when we actually make it to heaven, see Jesus face to face, and we receive our new resurrected bodies, and we behold him in all of his glory, and we finally become the real true you that God knew was in all along. That's glorification. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. All right. Now, what happens in the middle? This is where people forgot to tell you. Because we've always heard, give your life to Jesus, and when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But what happens in the meantime? Yeah. It's a little thing called life. You ever heard of it? Anybody got one? You got one of those lives? Right? Can you get that from Amazon? No. <laughs> right? Life is what happens in the middle. And many of us, we, we need to be prepared for the ups and downs, the highs and lows that come along with following Jesus in this life. See, many of us, here's what we think. We think, that, we think that Christianity is like this. You meet Jesus, oh, justification, yeah. Oh, glorification, woo, I made it. We think it's just a straight shot from, from here to there. But in reality, here's what, here's what sanctification looks like. You start here, oh, 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 I'm over here now. 
I'm over here. I'm up here. I'm down here. Oh, I'm over here. Now something bad happened. Oh, something over here happened. Now I'm all over the place. Some of y'all out in left field, right? Some of y'all like prodigals just now coming back. Okay. And this is what life looks like until eventually you make it home. That's reality. That's what it's like to actually follow Jesus. Sometimes it's three steps forward, one step back. Sometimes we're walking with Jesus. Sometimes he's dragging us. Amen. Amen. And I want you to know that that is okay as long as you're still walking with Jesus. As long as you're still on the journey with Jesus. As long as you are still following after Jesus, he will get you where he has called you to be. As long as you follow him. See, the person who who loves the walk will go further than the person who just wants the destination. If your whole goal in becoming a Christian is to go to heaven, but you don't want Jesus, there's a problem. If your whole goal for the Christian life is that you don't go to hell, but you don't actually enjoy the presence of God, there is a problem. And if you think you're saved without being sanctified, you need to check and see if you're actually saved. Because the sanctification is the process. Things in our life are to change. We are to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now listen, the goal of the Christian life is not perfection. The goal for the Christian life is your direction. Right? In this life, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. But that's not an excuse to give up. Some people say, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And so what's the point of trying to be perfect? Because you're going to miss out on the process. You're going to miss out on the progress. And you're going to miss out on what God truly wants to do in your life. The goal is not to be perfect, but the goal is to be in process. One day, we're all going to be perfect. But in the meantime, in the middle, in this life, we're all people who are in a process. And that's one of the things I love so much about this church is that we don't have a church where people fake being holy or pretend to be something they're not or walk in every morning and just act like they got their entire life together. No, I'll be out in the lobby shaking hands. Hey, good morning, how are you? Oh, great, really? No. (laughs) My life is falling apart. My kids got sent home from school. My, my marriage is strained. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. My, my friend died, right? I'm having a really hard time. And I'm like, thank you for being honest. Because, because what you're honest about, God can bring healing to. But God cannot heal what you continue to hide. And so I love that we have a church that's just a little grimy. I love it. I talk to some of my pastor friends and I'm like, hey, do, do you ever have this situation come up? Has this ever happened to you? Um, what do you do whenever this happens? They're like, Byron, that has never happened in my church. <laughs> I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, what is wrong with your people? <laughs> but for me, that's what I love the most about this church because the, the people who make the church messy are the same people who give the church meaning. And the greatest joy that I have as your pastor is watching you get it. 
Like I love watching just the light bulb go off. Like when you were living one way and now you're living another. I, I love to see where the former ignorance of your life was greed and now you've learned to tithe. I, I love to see it whenever you pursue after God's standard of holiness and righteousness in your life. I love to see those things. I love it when you go to small group and you have accountability and relationships and flourishing a life. I love to see when you're on a serve team and you begin to make a difference. I love to see all these things. I love it whenever testimonies or whatever, what once was a tragedy becomes a testimony and what was a trauma becomes a triumph of God's victory in your life. I love to see it happen. Why? Because we're people in a process. Sanctification, my friends, is a process. And so don't give up just because you're not perfect doesn't mean that one day he won't make you perfect. And in the meantime, we're all people who are on a journey. The, The fourth thing he says is this, church, is still essential. In 2022, church is still essential. We need the church. The local church is the hope of the world, my friends. There is no plan B. There is no backup plan. There is no alternative, and there is no substitute for the local church. Here's what he says. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere and a brotherly love, and that we are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. He says that word, born again. When you're born, you're born into a family. And as we've been born again, God becomes our father, which means we become brothers and sisters. That we are now the family of God. And so as brothers and sisters, we are to engage in the life of the family. And we are to spend time with and to laugh and to enjoy and to bear burdens with one another. We are to build relationships and trust and depend and lean on one another during troubled times. When you're in troubled times, you need your family. When you're in troubled times, you need your brothers and your sisters. When you're in troubled times, you need your father. When you're in troubled times, you need to be involved in a local church. Because it's in that local church that that we become a witness to a lost and dying world. The darker the world gets, the brighter the church is supposed to shine. And when people see the way that the church loves and lives, they should look and say, those people are crazy. They're weird, but I kind of want what they got. Like, like, how are y'all friends? Like, you're from Orange, you're from Beaumont, you're from Lumberton, you're from Vider, and yet y'all all meet together once a week to share a meal and talk about your day? That's crazy. Y'all have nothing in common. But yet, we have the one thing in common that matters most, and that is Christ. And so we don't agree on everything? No, but there is no division. Because we know what is most important. And we allow the most important things to take precedent over our own opinions, and we love one another anyway. Listen, God's goal is that the church would be would be united. Jesus' last prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross was this. In John 17, he prayed, Lord, make them one as we are one. On the day of Pentecost, it says they were all in one accord, that there was a unity amongst them. Anytime you see unity, you see God at work. Anytime you see division, that's the devil's job. See, Satan comes to bring division. God comes to bring unity. Satan comes to separate. Jesus comes to bring reconciliation. When you look at the world, not a lot of unity happening, huh? 
I mean, everybody's shooting each other, fighting each other, arguing with one another, debating on one another. Read the comment section. Oh my God, you need hand sanitizer just to go in there because there is division everywhere you look. May the divisions that happen in the world not be the divisions that are in the church. May the problems out there not be problems in here because out there, there may be problems, but in here, we have a solution and his name is Jesus and the divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs a united church because it is our testimony, it is our witness, it is our gospel declaration to a world that God's way works and that God's way is better. Do you want love? It's in here. Do you want hope? It's in here. Do you want peace? It's in here. Do you want mercy? It's in here. Do you want forgiveness? It's in here. Do you want value? It's in here. Are you looking for purpose? We got it in here. You ain't gonna find it out there, but you will find it in here. And so the more divided the world becomes, the more united the church needs to be. Listen, if you don't have a local church, I encourage you to find one. And if you're new to redemption, you found it, all right? Your search stops here. I would love for you to get involved. I would love for you to come to Next Steps with me and Ashley in two weeks to find your place in the church, to learn more about us and how you can plug in. Join a serve team. Come see us tonight, 6 o'clock, for our team night. Learn to see how the family operates. Get in a small group. Surround yourself with accountability with other believers who are going to build you up and not tear you down, who are going to speak life into you, not rob you of the joy that Christ has given to you. The church is still essential, my friends. And then lastly, number five, he tells us this. The Bible is still the truth. Here's how he closes out this section. He's going to talk about the Bible. He's going to talk about the truth. He's going to talk about the importance and the necessity of God's word during troubled times. He says, you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass in all of its glory, like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. When you turn on the TV, you don't find good news. When you scroll through social media, you're not finding good news. Why? Because good news doesn't sell. If it bleeds, it leads. Bad news keeps you coming back. Bad news keeps you distracted. Bad news keeps you in fear. Bad news keeps you in anxiety. Bad news will corrupt your mind. Bad news will distort your view of reality. Bad news is devastating for your soul. And when you look outside, all you'll see is bad news, but when you open up this book, you have good news. What is the good news? Here's the good news that is preached to you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is your sins are forgiven. The good news is your past is erased. Good news is the guilt and shame and condemnation that is placed upon you has now been removed because there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The bad news is that death has been defeated, the grave has been cheated, and Jesus resurrects and he is victorious. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we find when we read the word of God. And God's word is still the truth. Listen, just because something isn't popular doesn't mean that it's wrong. And just because something is accepted by the majority doesn't mean it's right. The populace doesn't get to decide what truth or lies are or what right or wrong is. No, that is a reality that is set to us by the scriptures. And here's what I want to remind us of. 
for believers in 2022 in troubled times. The word of God is your compass that points you true north. When people are deceived and confused, the word of God is what is our truth. It is the foundation on which we build our lives on because the Bible is still the word of God. And here's how we say it at redemption all the time. If it's in God's word, it's for, it's for your good. If it's in the word of God, it's, it's ultimately for your good because it is good news when you're living in troubled times. Listen, no matter what you are believing in years, it won't matter. No matter. It won't matter. Other people's opinions of you are. In a thousand years, it won't matter. No matter what other people say, no matter what a college professor told you, no matter what you read on a blog or on TikTok, no matter what culture would say, in a thousand years, nobody cares. But in a thousand years, the word of the Lord will endure forever. For the Christians that Peter was writing to, persecuted, opposed, being told, you must conform. They did not conform, but yet they were transformed. And 2,000 years later, what started as a little pocket of Christians, exiled, has now grown to three billion believers over the planet who right now are gathered in churches who are listening to the preaching of the word of God and they're building their life on the truth of this gospel and it has transformed and changed lives for millennia. Kings and kings come and gone. Rome is dead. Long live the true King Jesus Christ. Trends and facts will come and they will go but the Bible will still be here that nations and empires will rise and fall, that kings and queens will live and die, that presidents will come and go, that trends and ideologies and philosophies will go out of style. But 2,000 years into the future, the grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord is forever. In a world where nothing is guaranteed, this is your guarantee. In a world where anything this is your guarantee. This is your world where everything is uncertain. This is your certainty. This is not an eternal book. Before it is timeless. It is always timely because the truth is always the truth. Truth. We have a choice. Always the truth. And we have a choice whether or not to believe in it. The truth still is the truth. The truth. What goes up, truth. What goes up must come. Two equals. This point. Two plus two equals. Beg of you, truth, to come into alignment with the truth of God's word. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to talk to two people for just a sec. First, I want to talk to to those who are not Christians, or maybe you were a Christian, or you raised in church, but you've walked away from the. Or you raised in church, but you've walked away from the faith. You walked away from the Lord, and, and you're here today, and you hear this message. The reason why. Listen, the reason why people are frustrated and anxious out in the world is because there is no guarantee for something that only God, they're lied. And you're here today because, because you're looking for something and the answer is found in Jesus. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you an opportunity 
to come into alignment with ultimate reality and to submit. Come into alignment with ultimate reality. And here's the good news. Is, and here's the good news. Is the truth will set you free.